lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and of course, all of you at 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, over on Parlor at Steve Dace, and then YouTube. We have a channel there now, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. Don't forget, December 15th is the big day, the novella sequel to my 2016 book, A Nefarious Plot, which we are adapting into a film as we speak. A Nefarious Carol drops nationwide on December the 15th. Get your copy order, advanced copies today at amazon.com to make sure that you get yours right when it's released, and in time for Christmas. You can make that advance order right now. Amazon.com. Get your copy of A Nefarious Carol. We've got a jam-packed show coming up here today. Senator Ted Cruz is going to be joining us next hour. We're going to get his thoughts on the letter that he received from Robert Redfield at CDC, especially in light of the testimony from Mr. Redfield in the Senate yesterday, where now apparently masks are so magical They're even better than the magical vaccine we still have never come up with for a coronavirus. We'll get into that, but also the foreign policy news. It looks like there may be other countries now that could sign on to peace accords with Israel. So we'll get into that and more with Senator Ted Cruz next hour. At the bottom of this hour, we're going to be calling BS on whatever is left of the COVID-19 panic porn. Our local media here in Iowa is trying to make it look like, I'm, I'm sorry, with the Democratic Party, but I repeat myself, trying to make it look like we are the worst place in America, worst in the country for COVID-19. We currently have, in a state of three and a half million people, 271 people hospitalized with COVID. 271. We have been in single digits for deaths a week straight, we have not had more than 20 deaths with COVID on a given day since June 1st. If that is the worst place in America for COVID, I bring you glad tidings of great joy here today, folks. The pandemic is officially over. If this is the worst spot, if it's nowhere in America worse than it is right here, In IWOA with those numbers, rejoice. Your salvation has arrived. Your suffering is at an end. Burn the mask. Open your place of business no matter where you live. We made it to the finish line. We'll get into that with researcher extraordinaire Kyle Lamb over at Rational Ground. That's coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll play three non-political questions as well. But before we get to all of that, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by this country needs a better class of liar. Apparently, we don't need a vaccine for COVID-19 anymore because we've got those masks. That's according to CDC chief Robert Redfield. I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID 
that when I take a COVID vaccine, because the immunogenicity may be 70%, and if I don't get an immune response, the vaccine's not gonna protect me. This face mask will. That flies in the face of what Redfield said less than a month ago in a letter to Senator Ted Cruz when he was asked about masks, quote, the role of face masks is for patient source control to prevent contamination of surrounding areas when a person coughs or sneezes. And taking a ride in the Wayback Machine to six months ago, should you wear a mask if you're healthy? No. And we now turn our eyes to Nashville, Tennessee, with a story courtesy of WZTV Channel 17. Breaking tonight, coronavirus cases at Nashville bars and restaurants may have been so low, so low the mayor's office and the Metro Health Department decided to keep it a secret. On June 30th, contact tracing was giving a small view of coronavirus clusters. Construction and nursing homes causing problems, more than a thousand cases traced to each category. But bars and restaurants, a total of just 22 cases. Leslie Waller from the health department asked, quote, this isn't going to be publicly released, right? Just info for mayor's office? Correct. Not for public consumption, answers the mayor's senior advisor, Benjamin Eagles. One month later, the health department is asked point blank about the rumor that there are only 80 cases traced to bars and restaurants. Tennessean reporter Nate Rao asks, quote, The figure you gave of more than 80 does lead to a natural question if there have been over 20,000 positive cases of COVID-19 in Davidson and only 80 or so are traced to restaurants and bars. Doesn't that mean restaurants and bars aren't a very big problem? Metro Health Department spokesman Brian Todd asks five Metro Health Department officials the question, Please advise how you recommend I respond. The name at the top of the response is clipped off, but you may find the answer unacceptable. Quote, my two cents, we have certainly refused to give counts per bar because those numbers are low per site. We could still release the total, though, and then a response to the over 80 could be, quote, because that number is increasing all the time and we don't want to say a specific number. Neither the health department or the mayor's office would confirm the authenticity of the emails. But Councilman Steve Glover asked a Metro staff attorney to inquire. Here's the official answer. I was able to get verification from the mayor's office and the Department of Health that these emails are real, answered the staff attorney. The mayor's office won't comment on these emails. And the question that brings up is why? I mean, they're just numbers. They're either true or not. And why? Why are you trying to keep them? from everybody. In completely unrelated news, new data from the website Yelp shows that 60% of business closures due to the coronavirus response are now permanent. A new study from the University of Southern California shows that basically all Americans across all political landscapes say they're much less likely to take a vaccine for coronavirus once it's available. Back in May, 62% of Democrats say they would have very likely taken the vaccine compared to just 48% now. 53% of Republican respondents say they would have taken the vaccine in May compared to just 32% now. 41% in May for independents to just 25% now. Moving on, President Trump was finally asked by the media about his Middle East peace deals. I always say it's, it's, uh, it's the bloodiest sand anywhere in the world. And it didn't have to be that way. The single worst decision our country ever made was to go into the Middle East. Not only the millions of people killed, and I include people on both sides. You know, some people say, oh, you shouldn't say that. I said, I'll say it on both sides. Such a horrible thing was done. Such a horrible mistake was made. We're doing this a different way. Checking in once again on Joe Biden. May God protect our troops. 
I'll be happy to take some questions now, if that's uh, okay. Let me... A new report from the Insurance Information Institute claims insurance companies may have to pay about $2 billion to cover damages caused by riots over the summer. An alarming new survey on Holocaust knowledge has found that almost two-thirds of American millennials and Gen Zers don't know that six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust, and almost half can't name a single concentration camp. The survey was commissioned by the Conference on Jewish Material Claims Against Germany. And finally, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich went on Fox News to talk about the continued violence on the streets of American cities like Portland, Oregon. When he mentioned a certain person's name, things got creepy. Both Harris and Biden have talked very proudly about what they call progressive district attorneys. Progressive district attorneys are anti-police, pro-criminal, and overwhelmingly elected with George Soros' money, and they're a major cause of the violence we're seeing because they keep putting the violent criminals back on the street. I'm not sure we need to bring George Soros into this. (laughs) I was going to say you get the last word, Speaker. (laughs) He he paid for it. I mean, why can't we discuss the fact that millions of dollars he spent? I I agree with Melissa. George Soros doesn't need to be a part of this conversation. Okay. So it's verboten. All right, we're going to... Okay, we're going to move on. Uh, A historic day at the White House. And that's what happened while we were away. Do I have some things to say about that here in a moment? Uh, Aaron's Montage brought to you by Rough Greens. If you're wondering, hey, why are we buying so many supplements these days? It's because our food's been sterilized of a lot of those live cultures, living organisms, or the things that help us to live. The vitamins, minerals, nutrients, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, all that good stuff, it's sterilized in a lot of the food we eat these days, so then it will be available for mass consumption for a long period of time. Same thing happens with our pet food, too. And so a lot of the food that uh, your dogs are eating, my dog eats, it doesn't have anything live in it that your dog needs the most either. That's where Rough Greens comes in. It's the supplement for your pet, for your dog. And apparently it makes the food they like uh, taste even better. Our dog, Cap, loves this stuff, takes it every day, and it includes all the good stuff missing from your dog's store-bought food. You can try it right now. The 14-day Jumpstart Challenge for just $14.95. See if you don't see a difference in your pet in 14 days or less when you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. In the overtime today, we're going to discuss that vaccine polling and what we think it may or may not mean. I, I could not help but chuckle When uh, Aaron had the clip of Redfield saying yesterday that uh, the mask will now protect him even more than the vaccine and thought to myself, I bet Todd actually agrees with that. Just not in the way that Mr. Redfield probably intended, right? So if you want to make sure you don't miss the overtime today, go to overtime. No, go to blazetv.com slash dace, blazetv.com slash dace to get the overtime. And that's where you'll get a discounted subscription to Blaze TV, $10 off an annual subscription at blazetv.com slash dace. And if you're already a subscriber, cool. Go there later today when it's posted and you'll be able to watch at blazetv.com slash dace. So let's get to the, uh, to the montage. Uh, if if we could here. Um, I want to address the Nashville situation first, and then I'm, we're going to come back around to the Fox News story. 
and what they did to Newt yesterday. I, and I want to put the Nashville story in context because I don't believe it's an, any kind of an outlier. I think there's been two impulses driving what's gone on in this country for the last six months. Some of it understandable, maybe even excusable. Meaning, you know, on our show, we're big on motivations more than results and intentions. And why are we big on that? Because we think that's how God judges us, by motivations. Intentions are what you meant to do. Well, you know, I I tried to feed the hungry. I I bankrupted the country in the process. But my intentions were great. When, When you hear lefties say, you know, uh, our buddy Jordan Schachtel has a tweet out today. I shared it in my account, pointing out how the cases have skyrocketed in India despite massive use of masks. Some of the same data that we had yesterday in the overtime, right? And and he says, hey, you know, the left the lefties are going to say, well, it would have been even worse if we didn't have masks. They would have skyrocketed all the more. Okay, that's good intentions. Yeah, okay, fine, masks don't work, but our intentions are good, so wear them, put a burka on your face, face diaper anyway, stifle your kid's uh, immune system, and uh, make it so that you hyperventilate and can't breathe, because the intention is to see if we can save one life. One. Okay? So intentions are what you meant to do. Now, results are what you actually did. A lot of people on our side like to just be judged by the results. Hey, look, you know, we burned the village to save it again. <laughs> you know, I mean, but motives are why you did what you did and who you did this for. Motives are really of the heart. Intentions are often driven by emotion. And results are often just driven by what I would call cold-blooded logic or the removal of any sort of spirit of the law and just were looked only at the letter of it. But motivations get to a question of the heart. You know, kind of that whole choose ye this day whom you will serve thing, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. The first thing that's happened the last six months, I believe, is out of a, a sincere or politically justifiable motivation. At first, we don't know what we're up against. You know, and we're concerned. The worst thing to happen would be to take it, uh, underestimate it, take it lightly and have it be far worse than, it, than we ever thought. And and it's a little bit like when you play the outfield in Little League. They teach you that when the ball is in the air, your first step is what? Back. Back. Because it's easier to run up than it is to run back, right? If you misjudged it, you can run at full speed to catch up to it as opposed to backpedaling. You can't do well, that. The mistake in front of you is still in front of you. That's exactly right. And you keep the ball in front of you, which is the number one rule of fielding a baseball. Keep the ball in front of you, right? So let's overestimate what we think the problem may be because we don't know yet what the problem is. We can't trust China's data. We can always, a few months from now, we can always fix it far more than if we're way wrong and we undersold it and people, far more people die than we thought. We can't bring, we can bring the jobs back, but we can't bring people back, right? Okay. That's a somewhat justifiable, well, that's a very justifiable sentiment. And then there's a somewhat politically justifiable motivation. You know, the polls were greatly in favor of panic six months ago, five months ago. And ultimately, these are your public servants. And if the overwhelming sentiment is in one direction, most of them are going to serve you. 
even if it's maybe not necessarily what they agree. That's the point of a, that's how the political process works, right? That's one thing, right? So we had a sincere motivation and then a justifiable political motivation drove some of what we've seen for the last six months. Some. And as the time has gone on, as we went from into April into May and then May into, especially when we got into June and July, the percentage of this that was driven by justifiable motivations to then what became driven by the thing I'm going to talk about here in a minute. <clears throat> Whatever the scale was, maybe justifiable was here and, you know, uh, never let a good crisis go to waste was here. It's about right here now. Never let a good crisis go to waste is way up here now. Like the Statue of Liberty holding a flame. Okay, and justifiable fear, and uh, I'm going to follow the political polls um, is way down here now. It's like toe jam. Okay, this is almost, it's almost, it's like 199.1. This is driven now by politics. Because I think you have to consider what's like the driving economic industry in the city of Nashville. What's Nashville need more than anything else that city? Tourism. Tourism. If you're the mayor of Nashville, in most other settings, would it be in your political um would it would it be in your political well-being to be seen stifling the tourism industry in your city? No. No. No, it would not. But when you're part of an overall political movement that made a determination at some point this year that your best case scenario was to quarantine voters and destroy the economy, then it might be. Because if that's not the motivation... Well, Steve, you just said he, you know, he, he doesn't, it doesn't pay for him to destroy the tourism industry. You're right. So, when they ha- so since they had these numbers all along, why did he keep doing it? Right? Right. They had these numbers all along, then why keep doing it? Why, why keep doing it then? <clears throat> there, there's, I'll give you a motivation. That's the plan. Well, yeah, that, that's the plan. Can't have your college football, can't go to your, can't have your tourism, can't have your Disneyland, can't have your bars, can't have your movie theaters. That's the plan. The plan is to keep you as miserable as we possibly can. And it's hard to, it's hard to, um, it, it's hard to go and spray buckshot of angst. You want to, I'm going to do something I rarely do. I usually am one to deflect credit even when I think I deserve it, but because it, I, I, it's going to illustrate the point I'm going to make, I'm going to take some credit. You want to know when the worm really began to turn on the Big Ten football thing? Two things happened. Donald Trump picked up the phone and called Kevin Warren, and that puts, whether that phone call was productive, it doesn't matter. It put the commissioner of the Big Ten on a spot he's never been in before. The heat on him rose even hotter than it already was. The other thing happened was we gave Big Ten football fans a singular villain. So you can't email Big Ten coaches at gmail.org 
Who's, who's reading that? You know what I'm saying? If you're mad at 100 people at once, you'll get nothing done. Because they can deflect the blame, hide. Well, it wasn't. What, they can all, 75 of them say it wasn't me. You'll never get to the one that it actually was. When we gave them a singular villain, the president at the University of Michigan, Mark Schlissel, and I played a role in that. When we gave them a singular villain, that changed things. I'm doing interviews across the country on Sports Talk Radio now. I'm on Sirius XM talking about this. Why? Because now we've got a name. You're talking about Schlissel. Yes. Now we've got a name. Mark Schlissel. Okay, that's the, guy. that's the guy I email. That's the guy I tweet at. That's the guy that I copy, that I go to his Facebook page and say, what in the Sam Hill is this? Now, because now I have, I've got one place where I can singular place where I can channel my angst and frustration. Playing a game of leverage. Yes, I can't leverage fourteen Big Ten yep. presidents at one time, but I can leverage one of them. Sure as hell, I can. Can leverage one, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, can I leverage four hundred and thirty-five members of the House of Representatives at one time? No. No. Can I leverage my congressman? Woman, yes. Can I leverage the Speaker of the House, the minority leader? You see what I'm saying? That I can do. Can I leverage 100 senators? No. Can I leverage mine? Yeah. Can I leverage the Senate majority and minority leader? Yeah. The, ultimately, tell me who, where the pressure point is. Tell me who, you know, show me where to scratch where it itches. And where the, where the, where the levee breaks, Led Zeppelin. What's the pressure point? And... This has been a blatant attempt all year long to shut this economy down. And they're all in on it. I 100% believe they're all in on it. It's the plan. I just don't... Tell me what you think is more likely. That the Democratic Party in America made this their singular plan or they all just happened to end up on team lockdown coincidentally. What do you think is more likely? Exactly. To the point, the mayor of Nashville is willing to wreck his, in, his own city over this. There's only one way, only one thing that gets a politician to crap where he lives. And that is assurance from on high that if he does, he'll be rewarded for it. Hey, you want to be our Senate nominee next time? You want to be the gubernatorial nominee next time? You want to be the congressional nominee in a district in Tennessee that we can win? Here's what we need you to do. So yeah, wreck your tourism industry. And I'm going to tell you right now that if we have more news stations do what that Fox affiliate in Nashville did in a lot of these cities around the country, it may not be bars, but you're going to find something similar because this has been driven by politics. The virus is real. Treat it Treat it sincerely for you as an individual and your family. Outside of that, though, pretty much everything else you have seen for the last six months is as fake as Cherry Girl and I'm going to get you, sucker. These aren't even her real eyelashes. It's all fake. And you want to know why? I'll tell you why. Because last year, we had the largest growth of real median income in the American household since 1968, years before you and I were born. We have not seen a one-year jump in median household income in America like that, not even in the Reagan revolution, not the dot-com boom under Bill Clinton, nothing. Half a century, more than half a century since we saw real median household income grow as much as it did in this country last year. 
It's very clear that one political party and their acolytes in the media have determined, therefore, the only way to defeat that is to quarantine the voters and destroy the economy and then give them a singular villain. Make them as miserable as we possibly can and give them a singular villain. They like can't go the they can't go to the polls on November third and like vote against Congress, right? You can't vote against the media out the media. Who can you vote against? Donald Trump. You can vote against him. He's the symbol for it. And then amazingly, after he's gone, it is morning in America again, wouldn't you know? This has been a political op. I don't think it was since March, but it has been at least since May, at least since May, and maybe earlier. This has been a political op longer than it's been about sincere concern or the public wants us to panic, so that's what the politicians are going to do. Maybe that's what it was in April, maybe till about Easter, but at least since then, this has been a political op. That's what it's been. And it's sad and cynical and it's unforgivable is what it is. And I promise you right now, if you're a reporter, local news reporter, how do I make my bones? How do I get out of this dump? How do I get become national? You're a local attorney. You want to, how do I raise my, I want to run for office one day. How do I raise my, start filing FOIA requests. Yep. At your city government, your departments of health. Start doing what this Fox group did because if they're willing to destroy the tourism industry in freaking Nashville, what are they doing in Boise, Idaho? What 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 what, what are they doing in Spokane, Washington? What are they doing in Winston Salem, North Carolina? What are they doing in Flint, Michigan? See what see Des Moines, Iowa. See my yeah. point? If they're going to do this in Nashville. Why wouldn't they do this in El Paso, Texas? Why wouldn't they do this in in Kansas City, Missouri? Why wouldn't they? Lincoln, Nebraska. Why wouldn't they? I'd I'd be filing FOIAs and uh, figuring out uh, how do I and who my local investigative reporter is that has some ambition would like their their story played on a national outlet outlet like the Blaze too. It's amazing how much a Nashville story has to do with those economic numbers that you said span like our entire lifetime, Steve. That's what progressive is. Their job, they view their role, their thumb, not just their thumb, their entire fist is always on the scale. That that they view that as their role. So I don't think it's any accident that we're getting economic numbers. Donald Trump is a man for all of his problems, and we outline them, um, in general, believes in getting out of the way, sometimes to our frustrations, he's let cities burn. Quite frankly, when Steve, you've been begging him to yes. to step up, but he he has a more lazy laissez faire attitude about many many things, and that's bearing itself out in the economy. So this ties actually to the Fox story. If you want to know why you've largely been ineffective as a movement in defeating these leftists, I'm going to tell you why, and I don't have a problem telling you because it's not like they're booking me on the channel. Okay, Fox is the biggest problem you have. Fox is. It views itself as the gatekeeper for conservative media. And since the number one goal of any Republican in elected office, basically, is to get on Fox. And the number one goal of almost until recently, until we developed digital platforms of magnitude and means like this one and the Daily Wire and others, until that occurred, Fox News was the endgame of anybody that worked in conservative media. 
That was the goal, to get on Fox. I can't tell you how many Republicans in elected office, names you would know, have told me we can't take a stand on that because it won't play on Fox. Fox control has controlled the Overton window for conservative media, has determined what is acceptable to say and what is not. And God bless Newt for pulling their pants down when they tried this on him yesterday. George Soros, I don't know, maybe he's got money invested. He owns News Corp stock. I have no clue. Here's what I do know, though. Everything Newt said about him investing in local DAs across the country to let criminals out is documented fact, truth, 100% certified. So ask yourself this question. Why is that not acceptable on Fox News of all, of all places? And I'll, I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of potential answers to that question, folks. And guess what? They all bad. They're all bad. All the, all the potential answers to that are bad. But that has been one of the largest issues we have as a movement and why we've devolved into an industry because it's not been about defeating the left. It's been about getting my brand on Fox. And if my brand's on Fo not on Fox, then I'm just not relevant. So I've got to say and do what gets me on Fox. You want to do something about that? Promote more viable, competitive entities like this one here at The Blaze, doing the work that Fox News won't let you do anymore unless your name's Tucker Carlson and they have to put up with you because your ratings are so sky high. But yeah, you want to know why leftists get away with the stuff like they do in that? They try to Nashville? Because Fox has often stood in our way of doing a damn thing about it. So here's the thing about home security companies. Uh, most will trap you with high prices, tricky contracts, lousy customer support. Uh, so while there are a lot of options out there, there's really only one no-brainer, and it's called Simply Safe. That is so simple to use. Even I was able to hook it up in about, okay. 10 minutes or less. The average person could do it in five minutes or less. I got it done in about 10 minutes or less. It's got everything you need to protect your home with none of the drawbacks of traditional home security, uh, an arsenal of sensors and cameras that blanket every room, uh, plus uh, your windows and doors are tailored. It's all tailored specifically for your home. Uh, there's no contract, no pushy sales guys, no hidden fees, no fine print. It all starts at $15 a month as well. So I'm not the only one who thinks Simply Safe is great. U.S. News and World Report rated it the best overall home security system of 2020. So head to simplysafe.com/truthbombs. S-I-M-P-L-I, by the way, is how that is spelled. Simplysafe.com/truthbombs and get a free HD camera right now. Right now at simplysafe.com/truthbombs. Simplysafe.com slash truth bombs so you guys have asked me over the over the last few months several times hey some of these independent researchers that you talk about uh, on your show could you introduce us to one of them well the problem is a lot of them have really weird names okay um but today we have one whose name is not as weird uh and we are happy to have kyle lamb join us here on the program good to have you with us kyle how are you I'm great, Steve. Thanks for having me on. All right. So, Kyle, tell us about this website that a bunch of you guys have gotten together to start called Rational Ground. Yeah. So it, it's, it started out just kind of a bunch of us kind of, you know, finding common interests and, and sharing data. 
and discussing, you know, the various aspects of COVID-19 with each other. And then it just kind of grew from there. We, we, we started to grow from like 20 to 30, uh, 40 or 50 different people in the group. And next thing you know, it's like, well, we need, a, a, I think, a bigger movement and, and a bigger organization to kind of support this. And, and that's where Rational Ground kind of sprung up. Uh, Aaron Ginn, Justin Hart, some of the names you probably recognize mm-hmm. from Twitter. Uh, kind of said, hey, let's let's get something going, and and so uh, they got the site up and running, and now uh, it's becoming kind of a, a giant resource for people to to get information and and data and and you know various studies on on aspects like you know child spread and uh, asymptomatic spread and and things like that. So it's uh, we're really happy with how it's taken off so far. I don't know what you're finding there in Ohio. But what, what I'm finding where I live here in Iowa, so Big Ten Midwest footprint, is a lot of people are at the point they kind of just don't care anymore. It's just like, hey, if, you know, I, I made a comparison uh, to Summer Lovin' with Greece. Hey, that whole thing with, with, with Sandra D was great in the summertime, but I got to get back to Rydale High, man. Okay. I got to graduate. Got to get back with my gang. Okay. So, hey, the panic porn and it's the end of the world. It was cute in May and everything else, you know, but I, I can't afford to have the kids home from school. That Those unemployment checks ran out. All right. So we had fun, you know, but uh, time to get back to real life. I kind of sense that's where a lot of Americans right now that aren't in, uh, you know, the Corona bro or Karen cult. Even if they think people like you and I are nuts, they're just like, I just can't afford to even contemplate, uh, you know, any more open sobbing from your governor, Mike DeWine, any longer. Are you seeing that in Ohio? Yeah, slowly. I I think uh, so before the mask mandate, for instance, um, almost nobody was wearing a mask, at least here in Columbus, Ohio. And then uh, as time went on with with the mask mandate, uh, pretty much everybody was wearing a mask. There were very few people not complying with it. But I've seen the last several weeks, I think it's gone from like if you go to Walmart, for instance, you probably where before it was maybe 99 percent wearing masks, even though Walmart tells you you're supposed to. uh, I would say now it's probably down to about 70, 75 percent. And the ones that don't aren't really getting any trouble from the people that are, uh, you're not seeing a lot of Karens come in and, and, uh, you know, get in their faces and yell at them for it. So, uh, I think people are starting to lose interest and, um, you know, I think some of that might be the efforts of, uh, people trying to say, here's what the science actually says. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, some of it is just like you said, I think they're just getting tired of it. Um, but it, it, I've definitely seen a, a change here over the past several weeks. So to those, to, to that end, what is the biggest lie the average American is being told about COVID-19 right now? Well, I think that it, it's, that it's, da- that it's extremely dangerous to people that are, are younger and healthier. Uh, you know, I think we know it's mostly killing um, the older and, and not just the older, but it, it's also killing people that have underlying health conditions. But I don't think people understand the extent. And I, I, I think that they're being, uh, fed a line that, you know, when you look at the the death toll right now, which I think is up to about 194,000 as of the other day, um, you know, first of all, that's not a real total. And I'm not saying that a lot of people haven't died because they have, but that total includes everybody that has died with COVID-19 and not necessarily because, and that's something obviously you mentioned a lot on the show. And wh- we don't know what that real total is. We'll probably know in a few years. It might be 100,000, it might be 120,000, it might be 150,000, but it's not 190,000. And, uh, you know, the the median age of of people dying right now is about 78 from COVID-19. 
the median age of people dying for everything else this year in the United States is 100 or is 76. So COVID is actually a higher age distribution than everything else right now. So um, it's it's a killer for sure. If you're elderly, especially if you're you have underlying health issues, this is obviously a very dangerous virus to everybody else. It's it's simply not. I think, um, you know, the political narratives now, um, especially when you have a promising jobs report and and all of us, are, I, I don't know everybody in this sort of contrarian, you know, uh, band of merry men's politics. I would guess they would all to some degree be some form of right of center. But I mean, Justin Hart was one of the first people to call this out and he worked for Mitt Romney before and I literally tried to end Mitt Romney's political career. So this isn't this wasn't like a whole bunch of us got together that were like minded and said, hey, let's, you know, politicize this. We just want to know what the data was. But now that we're within 50 days of the election, there's no way to avoid it being politicized here in my home state. We've got Democrats in the media claiming that our state's the worst in America for COVID. So I went and looked at some of the numbers this morning. We have 271 entire hospitalizations in our entire state of people with COVID, 271. We have been in single digits for daily deaths in the last week. We have not had more than 20 daily deaths in Iowa since June 1st. If that's the worst state in the country for COVID-19, then the the epidemic must be over then, Kyle, if that's the worst in the country. Yeah, I know you saw this. I tweeted out last week right now uh, in the entire country right now, there's about nine current hospitalizations per 100,000 people, nine out of 100,000. And to give some context, this year in a light flu season at peak, we were probably over about 30, maybe 40 hospitalizations per 100,000. So we are not even a third of what it was like at peak during a light flu season right now. So like you said, in my mind, the data shows it's like, hey, there is no reason why we shouldn't be returning to normal. You know, maybe not right all, you know, all at once, but the data suggests that like this thing is, at least for right now, is pretty much over or it's almost over. And I think we should be opening things up. And the Nashville bar situation is just one more reason why we don't have trust in our government leaders right now. So let's one of the things we've also tried to do is get ahead of the game, right? So you mentioned, I mean, you you took their hospitalization numbers, but took them to the next level by comparing them to flu numbers and things of that nature. We're already hearing from Anthony Fauci, hunker down this winter. Uh, Deborah Burks, uh, wear a face mask in the shower. I'm, I'm, well, she hasn't said that yet, but we're one step away because she wants you to wear one in your home, which you can bedazzle. She recommends that as well. Um, so we know that's, you know, cold flu season is coming. It's going to be really bad. How, first of all, how is it possible that it could be anywhere near what we already went through, given the fact that we know so much more about the virus than we did before? Given the fact we're not going to have governors in six states that ended up leading the way in per capita death until recently, reinfecting their nursing homes with COVID infected. That's not going to happen again, since there's so much of a spotlight on those sorts of decisions. We know so much more about therapies and things of that nature. How is it even possible? Not to say that there will not, a seasonal bump. See, this is this, this is what makes debunking them tough, Kyle, is there will be an element of truth in what they say. It will just be um, exacerbated for the most dramatic messaging. So uh, there's very likely going to be a seasonal bump again here. 
But how can it possibly be hunker down territory given how much more we know about this? I mean, you have charted what the case fatality rate in the country has done by month. All right. How it has gone down month per month. How is it possible we're going to have an 8% CFR again next January based on what we know about the virus now? Yeah, I don't see any way that's possible. Look at what's going on in Europe right now. I think that's the best evidence we have that that's not going to happen. Europe has been seeing a <coughs> tremendous spike in cases for two months now. But the CFR from those cases since the start of July is hovering around 1.3 to 1.5%. In some areas, like Spain, for instance, you see a lot of cases in Spain the CFR since July is 0.4% right now. That's By the way, so, that's the case fatality rate, the number of people who test positive divided right. by the number of people who end up dying with the virus. That's what the case fatality rate is. Yeah, that's the confirmed cases. That's yep. not infections. That's confirmed right. cases. Right. So what the IFR will be much lower because that will include people that never got a test, antibodies that found out later on with an antibody test that they had it, things of that nature. Right. Right. So Europe, I think, is is proof positive that this is going down. It, even if we get another wave later this year or early next year, there's no evidence that I know of that has suggested that we will get it worse than what we are getting. I think it's going to be even less. And, and it might look, it might come back and just kind of hover for uh, several months. But I don't think we're going to see anything like we saw in the spring. And I think that's actually, by the way, uh, there's evidence to suggest that the flu season is going to be really light this upcoming year, despite the the governors coming out and, and talking about twin demics like uh, Gavin, Gavin Newsom is talking about in California. Um, I, I think it's going to be a really light flu season as well, both in cases and de especially deaths, because of I think a lot of the people that are vulnerable to viruses that might get sick and, and, and die from this. Um, there's just not many of those right now because uh, a lot of people have died yeah. already because of COVID-19. Yeah. So I don't think we're going to see a heavy flu season either. So one of the things Daniel Horowitz, our mutual friend brought up on our show yesterday that I, I have been, I was toying with at the exact same time. Um, and he brought it up, but he described it better than, than I was able to. The idea that, you know, a virus is like a bureaucracy. It's number, it's a survival mechanism. And so it's, it's, its mandate, its internal mandate is to perpetuate itself. <clears throat> and Daniel authored or proffered the theory yesterday, Kyle, on our show, that since coronaviruses already have a, a family of cold viruses within the family of coronaviruses themselves, that this particular SARS-CoV-2 SARS could end up um, mitigating itself, mutating itself down to essentially a cold in order to sustain itself. Um, to avoid eradication and we could end up shutting schools and all kinds of things done down this winter for a strain of the virus that has largely law been defanged because it's still going to show up on your antigen and PCR testings as COVID-19. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, uh, there is, uh, I, and I forget which, which virus it was, but there was a strain of uh, a virus that went around in Russia, I think in the 1970s, that, that researchers and scientists now believe is a cold virus. And it's just, it's just one of the dozens of cold viruses that go around during the winter that you get. You, you, everybody knows they've, they've got it. They're like, oh, yeah, I've got a cold. You know, I've got the sniffles and the, and the sneeze and whatever. And, and that's, a, that's a cold virus. And many of those are former coronaviruses 
that probably were a bigger deal at some point in their lifespan and have just become a minor cold. And I, I think what Daniel says is right on the money. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of theories now going around from scientists, like established scientists, that that believe that this is going to turn itself into just a minor cold at some point. Will will it be this year? Will it be next year? We don't know, but I think it's coming sooner or later. And I don't. I, I think it's going to happen sooner than the government is telling us it will. Where can people find your work? We went through in our overtime yesterday the outstanding stuff you guys did with the the table you put together on mask mandates and case counts and things of that nature. Where can they go to find your work, Kyle? Yeah, go to rationalground.com. We've got a, a kind of a smorgasbord of research and we've got more things planned that you haven't seen yet, but we, we are adding every single day to the site. So go to rationalground.com. You can find me on KY, KYLAM8 on Twitter uh, if you want to see my work personally and and obviously visit Rational Ground or, or visit my Twitter and we have all sorts of links and research and, and all sorts of stuff going on there. You've done great work, brother. Take care, man. You're doing the Lord's work. Keep it up. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Hey, if you want to get involved in the real estate market, particularly right now, make sure you go in with a real estate agent that you can trust. I mean, especially given the un... Take a drink. The uncertain times in which we live. That's right. We have maintained our streak uh, of mentioning that every single day on the program. But it's tough to find a real estate agent that you can trust in any in, in any environment, any market. It's not like they're going to put up there, I'm lazy. Um, yeah, I'm not really that optimistic about your house. We'll see what happens. They're not, not going to just say that. Okay. So who does the vetting for you? Well, the name kind of says it all. That's what they do at realestateagentsitrust.com. Now there's probably some remote location in the country where we don't have an agent for you, but in most places that most Americans want to live, we can find you an agent that you can trust. Go to the website. This is where agents have been vetted or they're not listed. They're not recommended. Realestateagentsitrust.com is where you want to go. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. Uh, the, the work that Kyle and this group have, has done uh, on the virus has just been uh, phenomenal. And obviously, I've done my own lion's share of the work, but I mean, a, a lot of the good stuff that I have been able to dig up or come up with, I, I kind of fed a riff off of them. I mean, like they, they started playing the tune and I picked up my guitar and I'm like, hey, let me, uh, let me, let me uh, you know, uh, get in on this. I mean, they have really done incredible work. Frankly, they've done the work that your CDC should have done. Except your CDC has spent the year, for the most part, doing something else. What that is, I don't know. But I have my suspicions of what it is. Also, they're doing the work that journalism should have done. This, yeah, don't let this them off the hook either. This is yeah. real journalism. And while Rational Ground and others like it, they can't replace the CDC. They are the future of journalism. I hope they plug ahead, not just on this issue, but in others, because we are all hungry for a replacement. Amen to that. Texas Senator Ted Cruz, he's going to join us here next when we return on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Next. We are back with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Good Lord. If only the audience had been here the last five minutes. I mean, the stuff we... I, I want you to know, I'm risking my life for you. 
I've got a bee. I've got a bee allergy. We've got wasps again in the studio. They just sprayed a few days ago. Yeah. I'm literally. I'm risking my life for you, the American people, right now. All right. This is literally me laying it on the line, man. Laying my life on the line for all of you. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on Parlor at Steve Dace. Check out our new YouTube channel as well. Uh, YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. And if you are a podcast listener, please, you never know. This could be it. The wasps could get me today and that might be it. This could be your last chance to give me a five-star review. Boost my fragile ego. Hit that subscribe button wherever you choose to podcast from. This is your last chance, maybe. It could be uh, to give me the affirmation I so desperately desire. Please do so. It will please our bosses here uh, at The Blaze as well. Joined now by Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, He is with us here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Good to see you, Ted. How are you? I'm doing well. And, and Steve, let me say I congratulate you on, on breaking news and, and really underscoring a, a new terrorist tactic from Antifa, which is to release killer wasps yes. in the studio. Uh, you clearly have them rattled and they're coming after you in, in, in a pretty frightening way. Well, apparently the murder hornets were real. We're, we're learning that right now. Yes. Since you brought up Antifa, it was not on my uh, docket to ask you about, Ted, but you brought it up. Earlier today, the director of the FBI said they are not a terrorist organization, but an ideological movement. What's your view of that? I'm tired of the FBI saying that. They keep saying that over and over again. It's it's politicized and it's inaccurate. We have seen, I, I chaired a hearing in the Senate. Senate. Uh, I, I chair the Constitution Subcommittee of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and the entire hearing was on the right peaceably to assemble and how we've seen what in were peaceful protests across the country that have been taken over by radical and violent terrorists that are engaged in assaulting fellow citizens, firebombing police cars, burning and looting stores and small businesses, murdering police officers and, and Antifa. We went through in considerable length the evidence that Antifa is an organized national terrorist group with cells regionally divided. And, and, and I still think the FBI is not treating it with the seriousness it, it needs to be. And, and I have for two years been calling on the Department of Justice and the FBI to designate Antifa as a terrorist organization, and, and they stubbornly refuse. I mean, it seems to me, if you want to believe in, in a Wahhabist interpretation of radical Islam, and you want to blog about death to Israel in Yemen, or um, you want to talk about how much the United States is the great Satan in some desolate, uh, remote part of Saudi Arabia, you're an ideological movement. When you start hijacking planes, though, and flying them into towers to kill innocents, uh, yeah. you have moved beyond ideology to action then and so if that action is not terrorism like the acts that you just described the looting the rioting everything else if that's not terrorism then exactly what is terrorism then that's exactly right and and you know you and i both saw the the clip where where chris cuomo uh was was on tv and he he asked where is it written that that protests have to be peaceful right right of course, it is written in the text of the First Amendment to the, to the Bill of Rights to the United States Constitution, uh, the right of the people peaceably to assemble. I mean, that's that's right there in the text. And everyone has a right to speak. You have a right to protest, but you don't have a right to hurt someone else. And when you cross that line and engage in violence, you should be arrested. 
you should be prosecuted, you should be put in jail for a long, long time. And as we see the lawless anarchy playing out in Portland, as we saw before that, the, the Chaz Autonomous Zone in Seattle, it's the direct result of Democratic politicians who are acting as apologists for these radical leftist Antifa and Black Lives Matter groups that are engaged in violence. And it is political and it's lawless and it's dangerous. You know, the hearing I chaired on Antifa, seven Democratic senators participated and not a single one was willing to say even a word critical of either Antifa or Black Lives Matter, The not the slogan, but the organization founded by avowed Marxists who, who are engaged in, in, in violent acts of terrorism. And, and, and today's Democrats are facilitating that violence. One more thing I want to ask you about before we get to the virus, uh, the reply letter that CDC Director Redfield sent your office and then his testimony yesterday. Uh, but uh, President Trump uh, and his administration uh, helped to orchestrate uh, a peace deal between United Arab Emirates and Israel uh, a month ago. Uh, this week, uh, we heard about Bahrain is joining up. Now we are there's talk you could even see uh, Saudi Arabia or several other countries join into this. One of the things that I'm wondering about is if they have made the calculation that instead of, you know, whether it was the Bush administration, the two Bush administrations and the Clinton administration, the Obama administration, they all seem to think that settling the Israeli-Palestinian question was the key to unlocking Middle East peace. The Trump, is it just me, Ted, or the Trump administration seemingly has decided that they're going to isolate the Palestinian uh, Israeli question. They're going to actually use that to flesh out the false objection. Hey, with that, if that wasn't on the table, what would your other objection to the existence of Israel be? If it was just you one-on-one, Saudi Arabia, you one-on-one uh, UAE with Israel, what would your objection to their existence be if the politics of that issue were not on the table? And by going around that issue and going directly to these countries, they seem to be getting making a lot more headway than we've seen in the last 25, 30 years. And it, it, it probably probably is going to have the effect of isolating the Palestinian authority and to a less and to another degree, the Iranians all the more, because it sounds like the rest of the Arab, a lot of the Arab and Muslim world is kind of saying, you know what, man, really, you guys are, why, why are we making your problems our problems here? So Steve, I think you're exactly right. Uh, you know, I was at the White House for the announcement of the peace deal for the signing of the, the Abraham Accords. It was on the South Lawn of the White House, and it was historic. And it was the direct fruit of decisions that the president and the Trump administration made in, in the first year they were in office. And then there are two decisions in particular that set the stage for this. The first was the decision to move the American embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. Both Republican and Democratic presidents had made that promise previously, and they'd broken that promise previously. In the Trump administration, there was a big debate about whether to do so. Both the State Department and the Defense Department opposed moving the embassy. I made the case directly to the president repeatedly that we should move the embassy. And, you know, one of the arguments that they used against moving the embassy is they said, if we move the embassy, it will make Middle East peace harder. And the argument I made to the president and countering them on this, I said, it's exactly the opposite. That clarity that moving the embassy will be seen by our friends and by our enemies as an unambiguous statement that America stands unequivocally with Israel, and that will strength is respected in the region, not weakness. Appeasement doesn't work. I was there in Jerusalem when we opened our embassy two years ago. It was incredible. 
And it was directly connected to the second decision that that is the most important national security decision made by President Trump, which is pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal. The same battle lines played out within the administration, both state and defense opposed doing it. I made the case again to the president we should pull out of the deal. And again, the president agreed with me and overruled both his own State Department and his own Defense Department, pulled out of the deal. Now, fast forward to where we are now. The reason we're seeing this Middle East peace deal, I've spoken in the last week with the ambassador from the UAE and the ambassador from Saudi Arabia. Both said almost the identical thing, which is that they are taking steps forward. UAE is normalizing relationships Uh, relationship with Israel. Bahrain is uh, normalizing relationships with Israel because they want to be America's friend, that they want to stand with America. And it's clear to them that making nice within Israel, making friends with Israel, normalizing relationships with Israel will improve their relationship with America. That's why they're doing it. And it's the direct result of strength and clarity and, and the strategic ambiguity that that Clinton's pursued, that Barack Obama pursued, that that Joe Biden would pursue, is what produces more conflict in the Middle East, whereas clarity and strength we're seeing is producing peace in the Middle East. Talking with uh, Texas Senator Ted Cruz here on Blaze TV Radio Podcast. Let's go to the virus, which was originally why we had you booked on here, because your office sent a a series of questions, 13 of them, uh, about uh, a couple of months ago to CDC Director Robert Redfield. End of August, you got your response. You guys were kind enough uh, to let us share those answers with our audience on the show earlier this week. And... I want to give you kind of an anecdotal conversation I had yesterday uh, with uh, with uh, Tyler. He is one of our grand poobahs here at the Blaze, and he sent me. Uh, he's so he lives in Texas, obviously. That's where the Blaze corporate offices are. So he's one of your constituents, and he sent me yesterday the uh, a link to the dashboard of the Texas Department for Health that they had just taken a huge backlog of deaths going back weeks, months, and dropped them on the log yesterday. So it looked like you guys had a massive spike in deaths for COVID-19 in Texas when it appears the Sunbelt wave is pretty much over in your part of the country. And he's like, why are we doing this with our data? This stuff is killing us. And I, I said to him, I go, you know, I, here's the thing I think we should consider. And I want to get your response to this because I think it'll lead into the conversation you and I will have about the Redfield. Uh, back and forth. If if this thing had not been politicized, if if it had not led directly to public and draconian public policy, what businesses are essential, whether you can leave your home, if you're in Michigan, can I plant a garden? Okay. If it had not led to these kinds of draconian public policies, like in, in, we had a really bad flu season, as you know, Ted, in 2018. People like you and I didn't sit around watching the data come in in real time. Like we didn't know like on April 15th that they were counting flu deaths from January that they just finally coded. And no one cared to know because it wasn't relevant to know how the sausage was made because I wasn't asked to shut my life and business down because of how bad the flu season was. Meaning that this process may always be like this. It's not corrupt. It's just never been politicized to this extent. So we had no reason to pay attention to it. How much of that do you think 
is factoring into this that it that really things on a medical level aren't being handled much differently than they probably otherwise would be with normal outbreaks but given the draconian public policy associated with this we are just simply not prepared from a data standpoint to satisfy people's curiosities when their lives are basically threatened on, a, on not just medically but also from a socioeconomic perspective by the virus Look, I, I, I think that's a fair point, and it's an important point. You know, I remember I used to have a, a, a former boss of mine who, who told me early on when I was just, just, just starting uh, my career, he, he, he said, never blame on malice what can be explained with incompetence. And, and, and listen, it's just life is hard and complicated, and, and any endeavor is, is hard and complicated, but particularly dealing with this pandemic, with this virus, there are a lot of questions we don't know. I've, I've, through the whole course of this, had conversations with CDC, with HHS, with epidemiologists, and, and at different points in time, they've given me answers that are directly contradictory to each other. Now, do I think they were deliberately lying each time they contradicted? No, I think, I think our, our state of knowledge is limited. We're learning more. Um, and I also think as individual data points get reported, there are a lot of players, in particular both partisan Democrats and the media, who take every factoid they can and they're pushing it for partisan advantage. They're pushing it to, to, to deceive, and, and their objective is simple. The, the purpose, anytime there's any fact that they can exploit, their objective is to defeat Donald Trump. And, 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 and it's, so it, it's such a hyper-partisan context so, look, I, let, let, let's take as an example, you and I talked about at length, you, you did uh, about a week ago, my podcast, Verdict with Ted Cruz. It's, by the way, a great episode, so go check out Steve on, on Verdict. Um, but we talked at, at, at considerable length about the New York Times article and study on testing and, and, and laying out the results of, of their, it seemed like, pretty careful examination that the tests being used in the United States are far too sensitive and that many of the positives they're coming up with are people who are not sick, not going to get sick and not contagious, but have trace amounts of the virus in their system and, and making the case that we should instead uh, focus our testing on people that have significant amounts of virus in the system such that they're likely to get sick and they're contagious. I think that is an incredibly important study that has been almost totally ignored in the mm -hmm. political world because it's inconvenient and it doesn't fit the political narrative the press is trying to drive right now. I mean, I posted a link with that explanation on my Facebook page. Facebook sent me a notification that one of their independent science fact checkers said this was false. So the New York, did they, I wonder, did they notify the New York Times? It's their study. Did they notify them that it was false? I, I don't know. I, I, apparently, the New York, if the New York Times reports it, it's not false. If Steve Dace reports the New York Times reports it, <laughs> Facebook says that it's false. Now, with that being said, because I wanted to, I, you know, mercy triumphs over judgment. I want to offer Dr. Redfield the benefit of the doubt because now the hammer's going to kind of drop. A couple of the, well, more than a couple several of the answers that he sent your audience. I gave the Spock one eyebrow, and I even threw in a, come on, man, on a couple of them, okay? The one in particular, I think, takes the cake. We're doing this social distancing, shut everything down, don't have mass events, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, his... his his institute was recommending mail-in voting a few months ago. CDC was, remember that, right? Back in May, I think it was. 
now when you guys asked him, hey, what's the largest gathering of human beings the country has had consistently since March? Um, the protests, the peace, there's been peaceful protests. Some devolved into riots. Some were always riots. But these have been the largest gatherings we have had of people since. How in the world can he tell your audience, Ted, or, or tell your office, that they have no plans to, uh, to study how the virus gets spread at the largest gathering of human beings that we have had in this country in this calendar year, given that we're practicing all this social distancing, kids are still not in school in some places because we can't put people together, so we don't want to study how much the virus spreads when these people actually come together. How is that even possibly justifiable? Well, as you know, the discussion about this virus is is so wildly politicized. I've, I've joked, you know, since this virus originated in China, it, it, it must be a communist. It's very it's very woke. And and, and, and it knows enough that, that that if you have a political gathering of Republicans, then the virus is going to devastate right. everyone there. But 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 if you if you have a protest, the, 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 the virus is is woke enough that it doesn't affect people there. I, I mean, it's ludicrous. It, it, it It's obvious that what's going on when someone says that it's not science it's politics they're they're not pretending to engage in science uh, you know one of the things i've urged pastors to do that are, that are operating in jurisdictions that are trying to shut them down or places like california that mandate no singing uh is simply recharacterize their their church service as a protest uh against the devil mm-hmm. and you know say okay we're protesting again and the the Double speak and hypocrisy is obvious from the left. Now, listen, my view, there are some on the right who say all masks are terrible and this is not this is all not real. I I don't believe that either. I think it's a serious disease we need to treat seriously and take reasonable steps to slow the spread. But we need to reopen the economy and get kids back to school and, and open up churches and stop the massive restrictions on liberty that are destroying uh, millions of lives and jobs. You mentioned masks. In the letter he sent your office, he said masks are not in- intended, for, from a COVID perspective, to protect the wearer. All right, it's to stop you from droplets from coughing and sneezing from unloading on the people around you, right? right. Y- yesterday, he went to your place of work. <laughs> and said so, so August 25th he writes your office a letter that says masks aren't intended to protect the wearer he shows up on September 17th at your place of work in the US Senate yesterday and says masks are going to protect me from COVID even more than the vaccine again listen you're the Ivy League educated guy all right I mean I went to a, a, a public school and flunked out because they didn't give degrees for playing Super Tech Mobile okay can you explain to me how on August 25th they don't protect the le- in a letter to a U.S. senator? I say they don't protect the wearer. I then show up to the U.S. Senate though and say they're not going to protect me if I wear one so much they'll even do better than the vaccine will. Can you help a guy who barely made it out of community college? Can you help me figure that out, please? Look, the answers are are contradictory on their face. Um, to give him the benefit of the doubt. He might have been saying, and I didn't see exactly what he said. He was not not testifying before a committee on which I serve. Um, but I didn't see exactly what he said. But he might have been saying, if it is right that a mask someone else is wearing limits the transmission or slows the transmission, he might have been saying that having other people wear, wear masks keeps me safe. I, I don't know if that's what he said. I'm just trying to... Uh, 
it's either directly contradictory or that's that's what he was saying. And you know, my view on whether masks work or not, I've seen people who have lots of degrees and 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 seem to be really smart doctors and scientists. I've seen them give answers on both sides of that question. I don't know. I'm a lawyer. I, you know, no one would come to me. That's, but that's the doctor. point. Isn't he supposed to know that is what are we paying him for? I mean, he doesn't you know. know? Maybe, he doesn't know. To be fair, to, to be fair, maybe he's supposed to know. I mean, I mean, he has a hard job as head of C- CDC. Um, this is a pandemic we haven't dealt with before. This is a virus we haven't dealt with before. For example, I've had CDC tell me you remember back in March, right when this was starting. Um, I interacted with a person at CPAC who tested positive and was sick. And CDC at the time told me that that if I was asymptomatic, that I didn't need to worry about it, that I couldn't pass pass on the disease, I didn't need to quarantine. And I went ahead. You remember, I, I self quarantined anyway. And, mm-hmm. and 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 look, part of it is the job I have in the Senate representing 29 million Texans. I, I didn't want to take a risk with someone else's health and safety. So I just said, look, out of an abundance of, of caution, I'm going to stay home for 14 days. And I didn't get sick. But but it was what CDC told me in March was exactly and directly contradicted by what they told me in April and what they said subsequently. And it. Part of that is I, I think they don't really know and they're trying to figure out how to fight this virus. And, and I, I give some credence to these are difficult questions to figure out because this is a new medical challenge uh, combating the virus. I can wholeheartedly agree. And then this is the final thing I'll ask you about. I think, though, when we're going to say we have to change you know, Yelp had a study out yesterday that showed 60% of the businesses that we've lost are not coming back. I'm sure you have seen the story that the Fox affiliate in Nashville has uncovered where their Department of Health there was just literally lying about the impact bars. It was less than 80 cases. They were claiming it was thousands of cases from bars and, and, and they just shut down their tourism industry in Nashville, basically, over something that just simply wasn't true. Um, you know the case of Shelley Luther in your own home state, for example, that drew national acclaim. Uh, at, at some point, when does the other no, side I, of the yeah. equation enter in here, Ted? You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Well, as you know, I went and got a haircut from right. Shelley. And, right. And, and so quite deliberately to make a statement. Look, I think we ought to approach things with common sense. Uh, I think we ought to be reasonable about it, which means treat it as a disease, treat it seriously. People who are very vulnerable, uh, people who are very elderly or have serious health issues, I think they should should self-isolate uh, because it is proven to be very dangerous for people in, in, in the very vulnerable communities. Um, but and. Listen, I don't know if a mask works or not. I, I know that when, you know, it, it, particularly if, if I'm with someone who's very elderly or potentially vulnerable, that I wear a mask and typically they wear a mask, too, just because I, you know, maybe it'll help. And, and, and we should do everything reasonably possible to slow the spread of it. But what is not reasonable, what doesn't make sense is what we've done, shutting the country down, shutting the economy down, ordering businesses to close, ordering schools to close, ordering churches to close. None of that makes sense. We need to open up the number one priority economically in the country is reopening the economy, getting people back to work, back at schools. We are strangling 
our own economy and we're doing it to ourselves. Democrats are doing it because they perceive a partisan benefit. Their view, so I think Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have decided, maximize the economic pain that, that, that come election day, they believe if millions of people are alone and home and unemployed and broke and pissed off, they think it helps Joe Biden. And they may be right. I think it's a very cynical approach, but they may be right about that. The rest of the country shouldn't go along with it. The rest of the country, should, you know, when we shut everything down, we're wreaking enormous damage. So on a question like masks, I don't agree with some of the folks who say never wear a mask. I'll, I'll wear it when I'm out in public. But I also don't agree with the leftists who treat a mask as this sign of political and social virtue. Uh, you know, I remember I was on the Senate floor a few weeks back and there was a Democratic senator giving a floor speech and he was wearing a mask and there wasn't anyone within 20, 30 feet of it. I mean, it, it, yeah. was, it was all about look at my purity. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's nuts. I and, and completely so agree. Yep. We need more common sense, I believe. Good to see you, brother. Thanks for joining us today here on The Blaze. Take care, all right? Thank you, Steve. You too. Take care. That's Texas Senator Ted Cruz here with us on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Hey, did you know that the average American has upwards of 90 some odd points out there that they can add to their credit score, but have no idea how to get a hold of them? Well, that's where ScoreMaster comes in. It's the new credit science that super boosts your credit score. You can forget about just raising it a few points. ScoreMaster is like, hey, that's weak. How about the fact the average ScoreMaster user raises their credit score 61 points in 20 days or less? So, I mean, that can make a big difference in terms of the interest rate. I mean, you go from the high 500s to the mid 600s or the mid 600s to the low 700s. That makes a big difference in the interest rate you can get, what it will cost you to buy a car, buy a home, et cetera. If you're a business owner, same thing. If you're looking for um, uh, you're looking for capital to invest in your business, that capital uh, loan. I mean, it, it just makes a big difference. Even employers nowadays are looking at credit scores. Uh, in determining uh, who to hire. So if you want the uh, you want the power back in your hands, get those credit reports and you go get a mortgage done or something and it's page after page and you don't know what it means, ScoreMaster is going to put the power in your hands by making that information all very accessible to you. And if you want to try it out right now, see, in, enroll in minutes, see how many points you can uh, boost your credit score as well. Go to scoremaster.com slash Steve, just like it sounds. Scoremaster.com slash steve gentlemen your thoughts on the conversation we just had with texas senator uh, texas senator ted cruz easy for me to say Uh, when it comes to masks one there is an entire almost continent of people who have had a mask wearing culture and that would be the asian uh, continent i mean you see pictures i mean almost ubiquitously over the last decade you see pictures over there. You don't even know what why they're wearing a mask. You just figure it's because there's a lot of people and it's really crowded. Uh, there's an entire culture of that that you would think there would be some data on prior to this particular pandemic that we could study. So I, I reject the notion, um, you know, kindly. I, I reject the notion that Redfield, the people making our decisions. Uh, as far as the public policy response to this virus, I reject the notion that we just had no clue about the efficacy of masks. Second, uh, secondly, as well, we have our trial now. We have our trial and we have had our trial for a while. It's yesterday's overtime. It's that tablet on rational ground. And that's just one of many examples 
do masks work? If you would expect masks to work, then you would expect to see a decrease in cases uh, or at least a plateauing of cases. Instead, we're always left with the unfalsifiability fallacy when we inevitably see a takeoff in cases in a place that has a mask mandate. It's well, it would have been even worse. It would have been even worse. Unfalsifiability fallacy again. So, I, I, again, it, this gets all the way back to we're just we're just flinging stuff against the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. See, this is the difference. The idea, like, listen, I'm what, what, what Ted said. I, I've got somebody who's elderly, sick. This is going around. They're immune compromised. I'm gonna wear. I, I wear a mask around them. To, you know, to me, that's a totally different situation. That a corporate national policy of I, everyone wear a mask. Remember when I had the flu a couple of years ago, Steve? Yeah. I, I actually, because I was living at that time in a house with young kids, mm-hmm. I actually got myself out of there and I went down uh, to my parents' place. But I wore a mask there. Sure. I sanitized everything because sure. it was in a very concentrated environment. This is the point I was trying to make to Ted, which is normally we wouldn't argue about this stuff. But the fact that it's all been politicized and you're telling me I can't shop at Walmart, I can't go anywhere, I can't keep my business open, close my bar. Well, now I've got, I need a different threshold now other than does does something kind of work. if masks work, then why can't I go to a football game or do any of the other things? Especially outside. Yeah. Yes. All right, we'll come back, play three non-political questions next. mandate that the French put on their people. That's kicking ass and taking names, man. 10,593 of them, in fact, because that's how many new cases France reported yesterday. 10,593. So you're saying there's a chance. I'm saying. Hey, guys. It would have been more. It would have been 10,594 if they weren't wearing masks, right? Yes. Uh, let's get back here to three non-political questions brought to you by Rough Greens, Smart. Hey, make sure that your pet has real food. Now, how do you do that? Well, unfortunately, a lot of the food that you're going to buy in the store these days has a lot of the stuff that your pet needs the most taken out. Same thing that they do with our food. That's why we take so many supplements these days, right? Same thing happens with our pets, and that's where Rough Greens comes in. It's going to put all those vitamins, omega oils, pre, probiotics, antioxidants, minerals, nutrients, put it all right back in your pet's food to help them feel better than ever before. In fact... They're here to challenge us. See if you don't see a difference in your pet in 14 days or less with the 14-day Jumpstart Challenge from Rough Greens Vitasmart. It's just a powder that you put on your dog's food and it makes it taste even better. At least that's what I've seen from our dog, Cap. He seems to think his food tastes better with this stuff. 14 days or less. See if you don't see a difference in your dog for just $14.95. That's all it's going to cost you to find out. When you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze, that's R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. It's time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going question of destiny some better than others what sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop injecting some levity into the demise of western civilization it's three questions on the steve day show fun story uh when you said at the top of the show uh three non-political questions coming up later today 
you know what my thought was? Ah, oh, crap. <laughs> of course it was. And then uh, about 12 minutes into that Ted Cruz interview. Ah, oh, crap. So we're going to get three lame. What's your Mount Rushmore open-ended questions? You know that's coming, right? Uh, all of these, all yeah. of these have to be open-ended. We've got twenty uh, less than twenty minutes to fill. Uh, they they have to be open-ended. They can't be yes or no questions. Uh, for question number one: If you could be cast as the leading role in any upcoming film, which role would you choose in which film? So pre- pretend like one of the leading roles just had to drop out, and they have to refilm a bunch of stuff. You could be cast in in that person's stead. Which film would you choose? Wow, this is a heavily narcissistic question. Which means, Todd, this should be right in our wheelhouse, right? I can do this. All right, you go ahead. No, well, well upcoming. Do you you know the up? What's upcoming? That's the problem. Well, think you can think of Marvel movies, all that kind of so stuff. I don't that, have, you know, you know, um, that's what I was thinking about. I don't have to think of anything that's actually happening, Aaron. Yeah, something that's yeah. actually happening. Yeah. Well, I don't know what's actually ha- what movies are coming out. Did you did you literally just say I don't know what's actually happening? I don't know when movies are okay. Happening. Yeah, yes. Uh, please, please provide for those since we do happen to work in the current events business. A total lack of yeah, a yeah. total vacuum of knowledge. Yeah, yes. Whenever you don't ever just blanket say I don't know what's happening. Um, just specify it to a, spe- a particular arena, if you would, please. Yes. I haven't been in a movie theater in like a year at this point, so I don't know what's going on. Um, let's see. What movies are... Well, we got the Batman one. Well, that's too easy, though. I mean, of course. Who doesn't want to be Batman in the next... Ba- hey, you know what? He's got COVID. He's out. So they need somebody. <laughs> He's got COVID. Yes, Robert Pattinson did test positive yes. for COVID. Yeah. You're right. I'll step in. I got this. You're right. I got this. Um, you know what, man? Only because it is... It's a, it's a long-standing axe that I have to grind. And it's, it's one of the few grinding uh, axes I have against the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm going to choose the role of the Mandarin in Shang-Chi. Okay? Because the, that's, the Mandarin's going to be, the real Mandarin is going to be the villain in Shang-Chi. Uh, and uh, in the Marvel, as the Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of branches out into the martial arts arena. And um, I'm, I'm, to this day, I'm still beyond offended at what they did with one of the great villains of my childhood. And especially the bait and switch. I mean, the way they promoted him in Iron Man 3 in the trailers was like they freaking nailed it, man. Nailed it. And then you get to the movie and it's just some... It's great. Uh, He's the best part of that movie. C-rate actor named Trevor Slattery. No, I hated it. And I've hated it ever since. It's one of the things I hate the most about that movie, and I that, hate that movie. That movie was okay. fantastic up until the point where yes. they get into that little. I completely kit. agree. Yeah. It went downhill after, and then it went, yeah. and then it was just like they're just that it, snarky little. Yes, kid. I'm like what? And then it was just like we're just going to insult our own audience the rest of the movie, and it's going to end with an after credit scene of Tony Stark just whining, and the whole movie he's actually not the hero, uh, but his girlfriend saves him instead. I that, mean, the whole movie see, was a deconstruction, that, bait and switch. That right? part. Is way more problematic than Trevor okay. Slattery. So I, I, I would make sure, since there's not, as, as far as I know, um, a Superman movie on the horizon, that I can ensure my place in the film will make sure that it's done right, or a ju- another Justice League or Green Lantern film. There's a Green Lantern TV series for HBO Max. 
So so I'm going to choose to play the role of the Mandarin and Shang-Chi to make sure that it is done properly and the character is given his, his, his propers this time. I would play, that's a good one. I would play one of the dinosaurs in Jurassic World Dominion. It's one of the leading roles. It's a movie about dinosaurs, and I want to be one of the dinosaurs. I wanted to be a dinosaur when I was a kid. Stop laughing. You all did, too. Question two. Which games are perennially on your Mount Rushmore? Is this real life? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes it is. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. uh, which games are perennially on your Mount Rushmore of college football rivalry games? Um... So which well, I mean, Army Navy always, is on yeah. there. Alabama Auburn is on there. Uh, the Red River Shootout has to be on there too. That one's always just ridiculous. Texas Oklahoma, you're talking about, and it is still the Red River Shootout. Um, I'm sorry, I meant Bedlam. Oh, you're talking about Bedlam, Oklahoma? Bedlam. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't put that on mine. I'm fine with Texas Oklahoma being on there. I loved USC Notre Dame growing up. It's not what it used to be, um, but I loved it growing up. Um, I mean, there's an obvious choice that was voted the best rivalry of the millennium at ESPN back in 2000, but I just can't anymore. I can't. I mean, well, if I'm doing this objectively, if I'm doing it objectively, Michigan and Ohio State is is the quintessential college football rivalry right next to Army-Navy and belongs on the list. Okay. So removing the fact I'm a Michigan fan, who hates this game now with the heat of a thousand suns. Okay. I will put the game on Mount Rushmore, even though um, I have negative integer interest in it at this point. So Michigan, Ohio state, army, Navy, Alabama, Auburn. And I guess I'll do, I'll do Texas, Oklahoma. Although, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. That, that. that, that belongs there, but Frankly, the Iowa Iowa State rivalry and my ability to provoke and and uh, provoke people with that help was a major boost to my career and one of the reasons why I'm here right now. So I, I'm going to put the Cyhawk rivalry on there because if I had not taken full advantage of provoking people year round with the Iowa Iowa State rivalry and turning that into a success a successful local sports talk radio show, I'd have not made it this far in my career. So I think I got to put it on there instead. Yeah, I think. I mean, Ohio State, Michigan has kind of become, not to that extent, but, you know, for a while there with like the, the oldest rivalry in the NFL is the Packers-Bears, but, you know, it wasn't exactly like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. Who's going to win this? You know, it just did not have much luster. So I think the best rivalry right now is Alabama-Auburn. I, I really don't think there's a close second at the moment. I would say then for me personally and Aaron as well, I think it's uh, Wisconsin, Iowa. I think historically oh, that window there, the, the, even if it's a just a one game, but it lives on in the memory. Convicts versus Catholics, Miami against uh, yeah. uh, Notre Dame. Yeah, that's uh, that's big time. I mean, the nineteen eighty eight Miami Notre Dame game that you're talking about, the fight in the tunnel. And they get they get in a fight there at the tunnel at, at Notre Dame Stadium, and the security forces them all to go back in their locker rooms. And uh, Aaron Taylor, the uh, former Packer, uh, former Notre Dame All American, tells a great story about what happened 
I don't so, know if I kind of know this. So the players are like, coach is going to, he told us, don't take the bait. Before the game, he told us, don't, oh, don't take no, the bait. Don't, they're going to try to provoke you. That's that's the, Don't go for the you thing. We're Notre Dame. We're better than that. We don't fall for that. We're not thugs. We're not doing any of that. Okay, and they go right there in the tunnel and get provoked in, the, the, in five minutes, and there's a massive melee and fight in the tunnel, and the, and the, the players like we're, he coach is gonna be livid when he comes in here, and Lou Holtz walks in there all five foot two of him, okay, and he has that big old cap on, he takes it off and he throws it down on the ground, he's livid, and he says, "Men, I only have one thing to say to you after what I just witnessed out there." leave Jimmy Johnson to me <laughs> and the p- team went nuts and like flew out of the out of the locker room and out onto the field so yeah. that is a fantastic story uh and then yeah but yeah nostalgia wise it's still which is why I'm sad for you it's I mean Ohio State Michigan that just reeks of college football uh for me it's the game it has to be the game there's always drama uh just because it's uh local and it's it's you know it's the 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 one with the most juice around here uh it is Iowa Iowa State the Cyhawk series uh bedlam would be on my on my mount rushmore as all, as well there's always always a lot of points seemingly scored in that series and then it has to be the egg bowl that thing is weird I just, it's a weird game. Well, it's about to get weirder. Yeah. It's, I mean, Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be the Bermuda Triangle meets the Loch Ness Monster. That's going to get as weird as it can get. And yes. wasn't that game decided like on an unsportsmanlike penalty last year? I or, think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, question number three. If you could spend a day with any member of your favorite 80s rock band in their prime, who would you choose? Ah. <sighs> So you're basically asking me, 80s rock band, is would it, um, I know you 2 started in the 80s, but I think they're, well, no, yeah. the Joshua Tree's in the 80s. So you're asking me, would I rather hang out with Bono, John Bon Jovi, Simon LeBon, I will own it up, man. Yeah, I, I was a I was a big Duran Duran so fan was I. in the 80s. So Simon LeBon, can't believe I still remember his name, John Bon Jovi, Bono, Steve Perry, Although most of their best music was actually in the 70s. So we won't count him. Brian Johnson. That's ACDC. Okay, so you're basically asking me which of those four individuals would I rather hang out with? Um, If you would have asked me this question prior to 2003, my answer would have been um, John Bon Jovi or Brian Johnson. I don't think I'm permitted to give that answer now, particularly for the reasons I probably would have given it. Um, your your great Augustine quote, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. Okay. So I, I will give the most politically correct answer that I can to this question. And I will choose um, Bono. Yeah, that is the easy one. But would you, that's with our knowledge now. Can we try to get in our, what would we... It was done at the time. I, I would have hung out with Brian Johnson and uh, John Bon Jovi, and I'd have been like, what's his face in uh, um, Blazing Saddles? Hey, where are the white women at? <laughs> That's what I would have done. That's what I would have done. Yeah. Um, I don't you know. It, Sammy Hagar? That's another good one. But again, for unlawful carnal knowledge, there's really only one reason to hang out with him, right? Yeah. I mean, there's only one way to rock, brother. I hear you, though. Gee, well, well, 
Um, Guns N' Roses crew. Um, they were not one of my favorite bands. I think they're dramatically overrated. Oh, that's. I mean, dramatically. That's dramatically. Overrated. You're the guy who stood in line for Mariah Carey instead of that, so you did not get no, no. I everybody out there agrees with me. She's like Dude the greatest Code selling female forced. artist of all time. Dude Code is in force. That is no, and a hell of a lot hotter. What than uh, <laughs> that's your slash? Mu- that's your yeah. You no you, you. That's your musical bar. Hell of a lot hotter. <laughs> when you're when you're 19, it's one of them. You bet it is. Yeah. Oh, Guns N' Roses. I mean that th- those the combination of Appetite and then the double album is plus man, is I'm asthmatic, strong. man. They all smoked like chimneys. I could not hang out with that crew. Plus, Are you kidding me? Plus I'm asthmatic. Contact emphysema. I need you is that to a elevate thing? Your game. <laughs> I really do at this moment. Plus I'm asthmatic. <laughs> Todd's like, I gotta find out what the wife's doing right when we're done here. All right. You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> you feel like you just wore, you just wore, you just read a Dan Wilkin column at USA Today, don't you? <laughs> you did say that out loud. Uh, I, I think for me, like most of these people in their prime, seem like they would have been just terrible people to hang out with. Or maybe I'm just not as adventurous as they are. But I, I guess for me, it would probably have been. Uh, Mick Fleetwood, dude, at least has good taste in cars. They'd be um, more of a seventies band, oh, though. Too. Did you say yeah. rock band or could it be? I just any band. Oh, then the eighties. Eighties. It's not even close. That Billy Joel. That's who I would hung out with. Oh, that's a good oh I, I was only went to bands. If we're going yeah, that route, yeah, well, going that, that route, then sure. I, you know, Billy Joel would be hot. Well, he'd be up there on that list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it for three questions. That was pretty good. It wasn't as bad as I thought I was going to be. Yeah. What 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 questions did you think I was going to ask? What's your favorite that's kind color? Of, that's, that's kind of this segment. Oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought I was going to get a Mount Rushmore of pumpkin spice, a Mount Rushmore of, uh, of basically a bunch of generic go-tos as you were just trying to think of and wing this and come up with stuff at the last second. That's what I thought I was going to get. Hey, I winged this all in the last segment, and I still had something somewhat resembling intelligent to say after the the cruise interview. Do you guys know we're on Amazon Music now, I guess? I've not checked, but that's what the sales staff here tells me. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've not gone to... I guess I've got Amazon Music on my phone. I can look in real Every time. Every time you say the stuff we're on, I just feel like an old man shaking my fist at a cloud. I don't know what all these bez... What's this stuff do? 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock, yeah, 12 o'clock. Exa- oh, yeah. 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 Alright, we're going to stick around and do some overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of y'all, we will see you tomorrow beginning with the Dace Group, the week that was in review. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.